Aren't you thankful this morning that he chose you, brought you back to life? Amen. Can I just say it's such a joy to celebrate Easter with you, with our church family, with our church family's family, with all of you that are our guests today. I want to just get right into the word of God with the time we have. And I want to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant event in human history, full stop, right there. Everything hinges on the reality of the empty tomb. That's why, in case you didn't know, today is the most significant day and most celebrated day on the Christian calendar. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half the books in the New Testament, talked about how important this is. And I can't think of a better way to launch into an Easter Sunday sermon than to just show you these words that the first century church believed, lived by, and died for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul says this. He says, for what I received... I pass on to you as of first importance. Can you just say that with me? As of first importance. Nothing's more important to the church than this right here. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. There's nothing more important than that. We can argue all we want about all of the, the doctrinal scruples in the text about what we think about this and what the church across town thinks about that. But if we don't believe this, come on, this is not a, a Bible-believing salvation. We have to come to this foundation that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and then on the third day he rose again. That's the kind of church you walked into today. And I'm going to go a little farther because Paul then expounds on how critically important this first importance is. He says down in verse 14 of the same chapter, and if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So, I mean, if Jesus isn't raised, we are wasting our time this morning. I mean, you should have gone golfing or something. It's going to be a nice day if the tomb isn't empty. He goes on a little farther in verse 17, and he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's senseless. It's empty. It's worthless. You're still in your sins. A lot of people might think, well, wait a minute. Jesus died on the cross for me. He died to forgive me of my sins. But listen, a lot of people have died to save other people's life. We live in a country that is built on the foundation of sacrifice. Thank God for men and women who have died so that we could be here in a free country today. So praise God for that. Amen. But Paul is saying, if Jesus just died for you and he doesn't come out of the grave, then your sins are not defeated. There are lots of animals in the Old Testament that died and sins were atoned for. They were covered. But guess what? They had to make more animal sacrifices. But the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus died once and for all, an eternal sacrifice. If he just died and he didn't rise, you're still in your sins. Verse 18, he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ. That's the term the New Testament used for Christians that die. They believe so much in the resurrection that they just called it sleeping. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost forever. There's no hope for heaven. There's no hope for a reunion with your loved ones that died in the faith if Jesus didn't rise. He said, those that died in the faith, they're lost. They're gone. I mean, it just, it all ends in a pile of dirt in a yard somewhere. It's over if Jesus didn't rise. And that's why he says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people 
are most to be pitied. Paul could say that because he had actually sacrificed for Christ. He lived for Christ. He suffered for Christ. He was whipped five times. He was stoned and left for dead. He'd gone hungry. He had been shipwrecked. He had been homeless. He had been naked and destitute. This guy knew what it meant to stand up for his convictions like none of us have ever known. And he says, if Jesus isn't risen from the grave, you should pity me before anybody else. We are most pitiable among men if he hasn't risen. But are you glad today that he's risen from the dead? Amen. He's alive today. Jesus coming back to life is of first importance. What you might not know if you haven't studied the scripture is that he's not the only person to come back to life. In fact, there's three other stories in the gospels of people that Jesus brought back to life. And all of them happened before his resurrection. And if you look at those stories, you can see how it built the confidence in his disciples to believe what Jesus said would happen, would happen in his own life. And it also speaks to you and I today about what God can do. And as we look at these stories today, I want that to be the, the, the conviction that rises in your heart of what can God do. Do. The first story I want you to look at with me, and you can turn there in your Bibles if you have them. I'll put these on the screen behind me. I want you to see the Word of God today. It's in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So get this picture in your mind. Jesus is coming in through the town gate. There's a large crowd with him. This woman is coming out of the town gate in a funeral procession. There's a large crowd with her. So all of a sudden, there's this traffic jam at the town gate. And that's why I think this next verse is so powerful. Verse 13 says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Can I tell you today, this is always true of Jesus. Doesn't matter how many's in the crowd. Doesn't matter how full the church is on Easter Sunday. He sees you. He sees you. Not only does he see her, but he takes notice to her. He understands in that moment exactly what's happening in her life. And the Bible says his heart went out to her. Jesus sees the crowd, but he sees she's a widow. And so we know her husband's already passed away. He sees the, the coffin, but he knows that this is her only son. And so not only is she burying her son today, she's burying her future. Her family line is ending in this moment. And you have to understand that a name meant everything in this culture. I mean, to us, it might not be as big of a deal, but to them, a people would be known by their tribe, by their clan, and then by their family, by their name. And that name held the title to their property and to their inheritance and their legacy and their identity, and that was all going away in this moment. In this culture, women had to depend on their husbands, on their sons, to provide for them financially, to, to care for them and give them safety and protection. So all of that goes away in this moment. This woman is going to have to just depend on the community to take care of her if they are willing to. All of this is changing in this moment. If, if there was ever a person that felt alone in a crowd, it's this woman. 
and now she's alone in two crowds. But it says Jesus saw her, and his heart went out to her. And here's the irony of the story. It happened in Nain. The name of that city, Nain, actually means pleasant. Nain means lovely. It means delightful. And here's this woman in Nain, and she's anything but pleasant. It it reminds me that you can be at a pleasant place and not be in a pleasant place. You can have peace all around you and no peace within you. You can be in a church on Sunday morning celebrating resurrection life and yet feel dead on the inside. What's happening on the inside may not have any correlation to to the smile you're wearing or, or how nice you're dressed today or where you're sitting in this room. The truth is, you can be at a pleasant place and not in a pleasant place, but know a greater truth this morning, and that is that Jesus sees you. He knows where you're at. Jesus didn't just happen to be in Nain. Nain is a small town that's 10 miles south of Nazareth, where Jesus was from, but Jesus wasn't coming from Nazareth. If you read the text, he's coming from Capernaum. Capernaum is 27 miles away. Now, it's not like he called an Uber. I mean, this is like 33 AD. Okay, that's a long walk. So Jesus had to be hustling to get here to interrupt this funeral. He is on a mission. I mean, I can just imagine the Bible says there's a large crowd with him. I don't know what you picture, but in my mind, I picture that scene from Forrest Gump when he's in the West and he's like running and there's like nothing but desert and all these people are trying to keep up. Like, where are you going? He's 27 miles. He gets to this moment to meet this woman. He's there for her. She's the reason he's come. Verse 14 tells us that he went up and he touched the beer. They were carrying the boy on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus in this moment commands this boy to come back to life. And in that moment of resurrection, he also changes this woman's future. He resurrects her hopes. He resurrects her dreams. He he rewrites the story of their whole family. Can I tell you today, Jesus loves to call young men back to life. Because while we think about moments and times and seasons, God is thinking about generations and nations. He has a plan that far outlives you for your life. So he loves these moments where men, young men and young women will answer the call of God. He calls him back to life. Look, look at what happens when, when Jesus speaks life. Verse 16 says, They were all filled with awe. Both crowds, those coming, those going, they were all filled with awe, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Can I tell you, church, that's my prayer for this service, that that you would leave this place today not saying that, uh, wow, that that was an enjoyable choir. I really had a good time to worship. Wow, he preached a little long. No, here's what I want you to say. In fact, would you just practice with me? Can we just read that last line together? Come on. God has come to help his people. That's the testimony that we want to leave this house today. And I want you to know, no matter what it looks like on the inside of your life, 
God sees you. God understands. His heart goes out to you. He's here for you, and he calls you his people. Not God helps some people or God showed up for that guy or that lady. God helps his people. I want you to know today that Jesus has the authority to command your hopes and your dreams to come back to life again. Amen. Let me show you another resurrection story. It's in Mark's gospel, chapter 5. In Mark 5, we hear the story of a man named Jairus. He was a leader in the synagogue, and he comes running to Jesus, pushes through a crowd, falls at Jesus' feet, and he pleads with him. That's what it says in verse 23. It says he pleaded earnestly with Jesus. He said, my little girl is dying. Please come. Put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in around him. Have you noticed that large crowds are always following Jesus? Praise God. I'm looking out at this full room this morning, and I'm so thankful that 1,989 years after the resurrection of Jesus, large crowds are still pressing in to see him. Amen. Amen. They're pressing in to see him. But because of that, he's late. According to Jairus' calendar, he doesn't get there in time. In fact, verse 35 tells us while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can I just say this is a snapshot of where a lot of people are living their life right now. Maybe there's a moment in, in the story where they would call on God. Maybe there's a moment in their past where they would even pray. They would say, God, I need your help. But now the voices around them and the voices inside of your head are saying, why bother the teacher anymore? I mean, you prayed about that years ago. It's too late. Nothing's going to change now. And Jairus hears these voices in the street, and he's got to make a decision right now. Am I going to face the facts, or am I going to follow the truth? See, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jairus is standing in the street. He's got to decide now. Am I going to face the fact my, my daughter is dead, or am I going to follow the truth? Can I just tell you that the truth is greater than the facts. God's truth is greater than your facts. It goes on in verse 37 to say, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now this is interesting because all these people have been pressing in and now Jesus is about to do maybe the greatest miracle any of them have ever seen, but he doesn't let people go with him. He leaves the crowd. He takes his disciples it says in verse 38, when they came to the home of that synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. People were crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. Verse 40 says, but they laughed at him. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you tried to live by faith. Maybe you even tried to express your faith. Maybe you just said something to that that extent of, hey, I'm, I'm just believing God can still change things. And you, maybe you've had somebody laugh at you before. Maybe you've been mocked for your conviction or somebody's called you out on, on a social media platform for your faith. Called it senseless or childish or archaic. 
that you would believe those things. Can I just give you a pointer right here from the life of Jesus? Look at what it says in verse 40. After all these people laughed at him, it just says, after he put all of them out. I love that. Like Luke doesn't really major on that. He just says, you know what happened next? He just kicked them all out of the house. That's what, that's what happened next. I'm not promoting any aggression right now, but some of you, you need to kind of take that, you need to take that word and apply it in, the, in, a, in a loving way to your life, and you just got to cut some of the voices out. He put them all out of the house. He took the father's child and the father's mother and those disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. This is why it's so important that you be in an atmosphere of faith. One of our six core values as a church is we create an atmosphere of faith. It's it's not unintentional that we kicked off this service today declaring resurrection life, that you can get up out of your grave, that hell lost another one today and I'm free. Why? Because we know that God can move in an atmosphere of faith. He responds to faith. And sometimes you, you have to just leave the mockers outside. Sometimes you just have to make a decision in the street to say, I I know what the facts say, but I'm not following the facts. I'm following the truth. And I'm coming into an atmosphere of belief that knows that with God, all things are still possible. The facts might say it's over, but the truth is standing in front of you today. And the truth of Jesus Christ is declaring, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe says in verse 41, he took her by the hand and he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and she began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. His truth is greater than your facts. Maybe your facts today are saying you messed up too many times. Maybe your facts today are saying your marriage is over. Maybe your facts today are saying that your family is mad at you. Nobody's getting together on this holiday. You, you messed up. It's not, it's not fixable. Maybe your facts say your condition is terminal. I don't know what your facts are. They have a whole lot to say in our hearts and in our minds. But the truth, the truth is in this house today. On this Easter Sunday, I want to declare to you that the truth can bring dead things back to life. Dead relationships, dead hopes, dead dreams. He can bring them back to life again. The truth is saying to you today, don't be afraid, just believe. Let me show you another resurrection story. It's in John chapter 11. There's a man named Lazarus who's very sick. And what's unique about Lazarus' story is that Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, are really good friends with Jesus. This isn't just somebody that met Jesus on the road or pressed through a crowd. He spent time in their house. He's eating at their table. In fact, they're such good friends. In verse 3 of John 11, it says Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. It says, so the sisters sent the word to Jesus. And here's the word. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's the end of the message. Now, now imagine if it's you and your brother, your sister, your loved one is sick and they're on their deathbed and you got one message you can get to Jesus. 
And let's just, for illustration's sake, say you got to fit it on a three-by-five card and get that message to Jesus. I just wonder, how small are you writing? Like, how many details are you, I mean, I want Jesus to know what time he spiked the fever. I want him to know what his current temperature is. I want him to know how long he's been sick, what the other, I mean, give me all the details. They don't even say Lazarus' name. They just say the one you love is sick. But they said something before the one you love is sick. And this is the most important part. They said, Lord. And I want to tell you today, Jesus sees you, he understands, his heart goes out to you, he is here for you, but there's only one prayer he's going to answer, and that's the prayer that's called out to him as Lord. He's looking for a people that would acknowledge his lordship today. And they cried out to him, and they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus finally shows up, John 11 tells us that Lazarus has already been dead for four days. He's four days late. Martha runs out to meet him. Verse 21 says, Martha came saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But this next statement, she says, is so incredibly powerful. It's a beautiful picture of what faith looks like. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever whatever you ask. In, in other words, I, I, I'm disappointed, Jesus. I'm, I'm, bro- I'm brokenhearted. You didn't come. You didn't show up. If you had shown up, everything would be different. But I still know. I still know that God will do anything for you that you ask. There's still that, that even amidst her grief, there, there's a shred of hope that we get a glimpse of in this moment. Verse 23, Jesus says to her, Your brother will rise again. And you might think that would encourage her, but Martha immediately does what a lot of us do. We get philosophical. We get theological about it. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And look at what Martha says in verse 24. She answered, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, Martha's saying, I know, like, when we die, we go to heaven, we're going we're gonna to be with you, it's going to be awesome, but that's not doing anything for me today. You're late. I know we're going to, it's going to be great one day, like, this is the, the, the pat on the shoulder you get at the, at the funeral when someone says, they're in a better place. That doesn't help me today. Like, I know that. Just hold me. I'm broken. I don't need you to tell me they're in a better place. I'm hurting right now. And that's where Martha's at in this moment. Then Jesus says to her, verse 25, Martha, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. See, Martha's viewing God's promises as something that we receive for somewhere in the future. That Yeah, the the truth is great, and one day it'll become reality, but Jesus is the fulfillment of truth. He's standing right in front of her in this moment. He's saying, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I believe by his Holy Spirit, he's asking us today the same question. This is not just a history lesson this morning. This is not just some future optimism that we're proclaiming today. 
The resurrected Lord Jesus is in the house this morning. He wants to know, do you believe it for your situation right now? Do you believe it for what you're facing today? Not just some conviction that can pacify our hearts after you're gone. Do you believe the resurrection and the life is standing in front of you today? Verse 27 says, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha gets up. She runs back to the house. She gets her sister. Mary, you got to go. Jesus is here. He's got something to tell you. It's really important. Mary comes running back. It says in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, she says the exact same thing her sister did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, I believe probably every one of us haven't, Lord, if you have, if you had been here scenario. Somewhere in our, in our journey of, of faith or even in our journey of believing in God, we, we come to a place where we go, well, yeah, I'd, I'd believe if you had. Lord, if you had answered that prayer, if, if, if grandmom hadn't died, of that, if you had healed her, I, it'd be different. Lord, if, if you would have saved my marriage, it'd be different. Lord, if my kids hadn't, hadn't left and rejected us, it'd be different. We've all got that scenario that says, Lord, if you had, I would. But can I tell you today, this story teaches a powerful lesson to us, and it's this, that unmet expectation is an opportunity for a greater revelation about who Jesus is. Your unmet expectation gives you the privilege and the opportunity to be amazed by grace. It gives you the opportunity to be astounded by his glory. Listen, if you are serving a God today and you're always two steps ahead of him and you always know what he's going to do and you always know how he's going to act, I'm telling you the God you're serving is too small. I don't want to serve a God that I stay two steps ahead of. In Isaiah 55, God said, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. So sometimes I got to be honest and just say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm up for it. And rather than get frustrated and turn my nose at God and reject him, I choose to recognize that my unmet expectation just might be an opportunity for a greater revelation of who God is and what he's doing. In fact, Jesus delayed his coming for that very reason. It's why he didn't show up on time. Earlier in the chapter, he's with his disciples. He gets the message from Mary and Martha. He says, Lazarus is asleep. and Let's go see him. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. So then it says in verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. See, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's at the end of his ministry. He's been preaching to these guys and, and telling them about the kingdom for three and a half years. And, and he's told them at this point many times that he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die, be buried in a tomb, and on the third day he'll rise again. The cross was not a surprise to Jesus. It shouldn't have been a surprise to his disciples. He told them over and over again. And when he would say it, it just went over their head. Like they, they were going, this, this is a metaphor, right? 
Is this one of those parables? Like, is this a fable? Are you saying this and it means something else? And Jesus is telling them plainly, I am going to die. They didn't have that revelation yet. They didn't understand his ability to not only raise the other people back to life, but to conquer death himself. So he said, I'm glad for your sake I wasn't there. Now let's go see him. Now Jesus is standing at the tomb of Lazarus. In verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39 says, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been dead for four days. You know, it's interesting that the Talmud tells us that the Jews believe that the soul hovers over the body of the deceased for three days. Like the soul is in, in, in waiting or, or in a state of confusion. And so after a person dies, their body's deceased, but for three days their, their soul is still there. That was, that was their belief. So Jesus waited for. Jesus wanted them to get a greater revelation. So now he's there. He said, Did you believe, do you believe I'm the resurrection and life? Yeah, Lord, I believe it. Okay, then move the stone. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not only is he dead, he's decaying. He probably stinks by now, and his soul is departed. Like, you're four days late, three days late at best. Jesus says, roll the stone away. Look at verse 40. He said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands, his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, and let him go. After four days in the grave, Jesus calls Lazarus back to life. And this resurrection story tells us that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Not he was, not he will be. He is the resurrection and the life. You might have a story like Mary and Martha today, and you're saying, Lord, if you had, then things would be different. But I'm telling you today, you can have a testimony like Martha's that says, but even now, Lord, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. Even now, even though it looks impossible, even though it looks like God's late, I'm telling you, church, when Jesus shows up, even four days late, he's still right on time. And you can have faith today to believe that Jesus is the one who brings things back to life. As our worship team comes I want to tell you today that there is one resurrection that stands above all the rest. It's the reason we're here this morning. The truth is there are a lot of people that have experienced coming back to life after death. The prophets Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, they both raised the dead. The apostles Peter and Paul, they both raised the dead. I just shared three stories with you of people that had died that Jesus brought back to life. But what's true of all of their stories is this. Eventually, they died again. 
Eventually, that boy from Nain was put back in a box and carried back out the city gate. Eventually, the mourners packed the house of Jairus' daughter once again to cry. And at some point, Lazarus was rewrapped and placed behind a tomb. All of them died again. There's been many people, even in our day, maybe by a miracle, maybe by a defibrillator, they died and they came back. And thank God for it. They all die again. But Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection was different. Jesus is the only one that predicted with incredible precision how he would die, that he would be buried, and that on the third day, he would rise again. No one had to come and resuscitate him. No one had to come and roll the stone away for him. The stone was rolled away so that the women could see. When Jesus came back, he came back with resurrection life on Easter Sunday morning. See, the promise of the resurrection is not just that Jesus came back to life. The promise of the resurrection is that Jesus came back from conquering death. That's what happened at Easter. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And his disciples, they saw him. He was human. He was flesh. They touched his hands and the place in his side where they had pierced him with the, with the spear. Jesus ate a meal with them. They embraced him. The women clung to his feet in the garden. And yet Jesus in his glorified body was able to walk through the walls into the upper room where they were meeting. Jesus could be transported from one place to another immediately. He disappeared from their sight on the Emmaus Road. He appeared suddenly in the upper room. And 40 days after his resurrection, they watched him ascend bodily all the way up into the sky until he disappeared. And the Bible tells us he sat down at the right hand of the Father in majesty. And the Bible says that because he lives, we also can have life. Eternal life is not just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. And it's not something that begins after you die. It happens the moment you receive resurrection life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The Word of God says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's the truth of every child of God who's put their faith in Jesus. And Paul the Apostle, he, he described what that looks like. What it looks like for a person to be saved, for a person to, to know that they have eternal life in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, in verse 20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He, he said that because he understood. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that, that God made him who had no sin to become sin. So that we could become the righteousness of God. Paul understood that, that when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just go in proxy for you. He became sin. He took your sin. He took my sin. And because it's mine, I have ownership. So when Jesus died, I died. Thank God I didn't have to die physically. He carried the weight of the cross. But he did it for me. So to, to say I identify with Christ means I recognize that it was my sin that hung him there. I died with Christ. 
And he didn't just die so that he could give me back my life. For two years now, we've heard people say, oh, I just want to get back to normal. I just want things to get back to normal. Let me tell you, normal is overrated. Jesus did not hang on the cross so that you could have normal. He came to give you resurrection life in his name. So Paul says, I was crucified with Christ and I don't even live. That old guy, that that selfish guy, that self-centered sinful guy, he died with Christ. He's not here anymore. The life that I now live, he says, the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise three days later to fix your life. The gospel is not about God making bad people good. The gospel is about God making dead people alive. He came to give you new life today. So today's not about self-help. It's not about a fresh start. It's about a resurrection. If you're here today and you say, I need resurrection life. I need Jesus to save me from my sin. I need my sins to be nailed to that cross. To die with Christ so that I can receive new life by His Spirit today. If you're in this place today and that's the desire of your heart. If you're watching online and you say, I need resurrection life today. In this moment, would you make a decision? The most important decision of your life, it's simply this. The decision to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Not playing by the facts. I'm following the truth. I'm not listening to the voices in the street. I'm following the truth. If you would say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to give you the promise that we have in God's word. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you will confess your sins, he's faithful. He's just. And he will forgive you of your sin. And he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a good deal. Not he'll forgive you for yesterday. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want to pray for you today. Would you bow your head with me all over this room? If that's you today, you say, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I need a fresh start. Right now, I'm going to ask, would you just lift up a hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me in just a moment. That's me. Thank you, sir. Anyone else that would just say, that's me. Thank you, ma'am. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I need to stop listening to the other voices in this world, the noise in my head. I need to just believe. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Do you believe this? He's asking you today, and I'm asking for the last time. Anyone else? That's me. I need to surrender my heart my life to Jesus Christ by lifting up a hand. You're just saying to Jesus, God, I'm reaching for you. I need you to save me, to deliver me, to give me new life. In Jesus' name, thank you for those of you that have just raised your hand. We're going to pray. Can we all stand together all over this room? I'm going to ask some of our prayer team to come to stand in the front. I'm going to pray a closing prayer right now. If you just raised your hand and said, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin, can I encourage you before you leave, find your way to this altar. They want to pray for you. They have some resources that they want to give to you. 
Because Jesus never said, go into the world and make converts. We're not in the business of making converts, counting hands. All that counts for nothing. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That means the decision you're making today is the beginning of a long obedience in the same direction. It's the beginning of a relationship. So we want to pray with you, and we want to give you some, uh, a book. We want to give you a resource to help you over the next six weeks to just begin to develop a deeper abiding relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've got a relationship with Jesus, but man, I could use some prayer. I could use some prayer today. We want to invite you to come. This worship team is going to sing a final song, and these altars are open. While I'm praying right now, would you just step out and move towards these altars? If you just raised a hand or if you just say, God, I just need some prayer today, these altars are open. Father, right now, we thank you for your presence in this place. God, we thank you for the word, for the promise of life that we see in the empty tomb. God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be the savior of the world, and we declare our faith in him and in him alone. Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. So God, we repent of sin today. We turn from our wicked ways. Lord, may our old lives be crucified with Christ that we might live a life empowered by your spirit. From this day forward, the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people said amen today. Amen. Would you give the Lord praise for what he's doing in this house? Amen. 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 These altars are open. You can come.